Lord, we love you and we uh, praise you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity we have to look into your word, Lord, and uh, to talk about a subject uh, that is incredibly important, Lord, and just for us to know how uh, to give reasons for the things that we believe in, Lord, to give a defense for our faith. Lord, I pray for this uh, whole semester, Lord, this fall semester, that this study goes well, uh, that it will be honoring to you, Lord, and ultimately, Lord, that this study just won't purely be intellectual, but it will be worshipful, Lord, and devotional, um, that we will just grow as believers in our spiritual life, Lord, and fall more in love with you as a result of it. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll just speak through me and you'll give us uh, ears to hear your word. Lord, let me pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. So uh, as I was saying earlier, this is the first week um, of our apologetics series. So you could see the introduction, or the title, I should say, is Introduction to Christian Apologetics and God's Mission. So... It's a little bit unique in the sense, in the angle we're trying to go about this study, in that we're not just talking about apologetics, and we'll get to what that is and the definition of that, uh, but we're also going out at this with an angle of missions or evangelism, um, and seeing how they fit together. Um, so... I'll start off the question for you all so we get some dialogue going and discussion. For those who may have studied it before, or you could just throw out guesses of what you think it might be, what is Christian apologetics? And I specifically put in there uh, on purpose Christian apologetics, not just apologetics. But what is Christian apologetics? And what, what would you think? That would mean explaining your faith. faith. All right. So I kind of said it a little bit in my prayer as well. Um, Explaining your faith. If you were to add more to that, what are some more components that you could use to describe it? I would say more of a defense of the faith in that you're the reasons and the rationale and the logic behind it. Okay. So you're saying important words, right? Reason, logic giving a defense for something. So you could think of it as as someone giving an objection to what you're saying, and you're going to defend why you're saying what you're saying. Um, All right, so that's part of it. Uh, Was there any other components that we would want to add in and what Christian apologetics might be? Yes. I think of it as being able to answer questions about your faith. Answer questions. Those are really important, right? That's really good. So answering questions. Just being able to answer questions, right? Um, It could be in a sense of giving a defense for your faith, or it could simply just um, be answering questions that you might have for yourself personally um, or a friend might have in, in any way. So I think you guys had some really good answers. When I first got here to the church, uh, apologetics is one of the first things I went through with the students, and this was in 2018, uh, because what's really important for our students, but then also for us as adults, is to know why we believe in the things we believe in. Uh, right? The Christian faith isn't just a blind faith. We just don't say we believe in Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross for our sins. And then when you put your faith in him, uh, you may have the salvation, right? We just don't believe it because a pastor said it, because our parents taught it to us, because our friends share this gospel with us. But there's good reasons to believe it. And apologetics helps us to see some of the reasons for that. And so that's, uh, that's what it really looks at. Um, apologetics uh, comes from the word apologia. I mean, you all might know this. Um, simply means to give an answer or defense for something, in our case, for our faith, making it Christian apologetics. Um, and I want to look to First Peter chapter 3. This is um, the classic verse that everyone always goes to 
when you do your study on apologetics. So I feel like I can't start the study without looking at this passage. And I added in verse 16 as well on the back side of verse 15 uh, to give a little bit more context of what's happening here. Um, but on the broader scale, for First Peter, what's happening? Uh, we have Christians who... Um, do you need a pen or pencil or anything like that? All right, perfect. For First Peter, we have Christians who are struggling, um, where they are going about um, the Christian life, this new faith that they have, and they are um, coming up against different trials, various trials, as First Peter tells us, and they are told to hold on to this hope that they um, gained once they put their faith in Christ. So it's very end times focused as well. Hold on to this faith until Christ is fully revealed. And so this is the context in which uh, this passage comes out. Uh, Hold on to this hope. Hold on to this hope is what the Christians are being told to do throughout 1 Peter. And then you get to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Um, And I'm going to start reading... Uh, In the ESV translation, it says, In your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give a defense. This word defense here is the Greek Greek word apologia, where we get the word apologetics. So give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Uh, Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, again, context, uh, they were suffering immensely, as I was saying. As, so when you are going through these sufferings, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Um, so, th- like I said, this is the passage people go to, say, oh, we need to be able to be prepared to give a defense, to give a defense, to give a defense, to Given the apology of our faith, right? Um, not saying that we have to apologize for our faith, but to give a defense. That's what I mean when you have to give an apology for our, our faith. Um, I want us to look at this definition that I pulled out of a book, um, and you'll see the resources on the, on, near the back of which book I pulled this from. But is anyone willing to read that definition I have here? We're, uh, right underneath the verse in this first section. So anyone read that for us? Apologetics is the practice of offering an appeal and a, and a defense for the Christian faith. In other words, apologetics through the word and deed answers both why a person can believe defense and why a person should believe appeal. All right. So this definition comes up with two components of what apologetics is. What's the first one it mentions? Appeal. And the second one? Defense, Defense, right? We've been talking about the defense component this whole time. Um, And then he kind of goes further in what he means by that, right? Uh, It says, Apologetics through word and deed answers both why the person can believe, right? That's giving a defense for your faith. Why you can believe this. There's reason to believe in the things we believe in as Christians, and why then a person should believe in these things. Uh, and so this is kind of the evangelistic component behind it, right? We do apologetics to be able to, yes, defend our faith, but then also to, um, as we are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, be able to show them that this is reasonable. Uh, you don't have to just completely throw out your reason when you become a Christian. Uh, these are things that you should believe in. Um, and so appealing in that in that way. Um, there's another part of this definition I think is incredibly incredibly important that we can easily jump over without really noticing it. Uh, is there anything in here in this definition that we have not talked about so far 
that you think is incredibly important that we should talk about? Yes. D. D. Yes, exactly. It says, apologetics through word and deed answers both why a person can believe and why they should believe. I think this is a component of apologetics that many of us may not naturally think of right away, and I don't think I do uh, often right away. Right? We think of the word component, be able to give an answer verbally, give um, a defense verbally for the questions that might arise. But there's also this deed component, as in our simple everyday actions. Um, and I think that's a really important part, especially going back to the passage in First Peter. First uh, Peter, again, is all about how we are to live in light of the hope that we have in Christ. We are to be holy as Christ is holy, right? That's in First uh, Peter. It goes through how we are supposed to have relationships with others. It explains just how you are to live this holy life devotionally before God, what it looks like to do the Father's will. And in that, that helps us give a defense for our faith. So when other people see the Christian life that we're living, they could see um, that it's a life that's truly been transformed by God. And that's why I added in verse 16 at the back end of verse 15 in First uh, Peter here. Um, it says, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, so it's about behavior here and how you act indeed, uh, may be put to shame. They can't accuse you of anything. right? So apologetics is about giving defense verbally the intellectual component, but then it's also, where are you at devotionally, spiritually before God? What kind of life are you living? Is that a defense for your faith? Is your life an actual display of Christ defending your faith uh, to show the transformation work that the gospel does when you put your faith in Christ? Uh, So I want us to talk about that as well throughout the semester. Not just the intellectual component of it, but then also just the devotional component of it. Um, All right. I need to make sure I'm watching the time. All right. Second part. What is... So I want us to discuss this question first, and then we will get into some of these passages. What is the church's mission, and is it the same as the mission of God? Is the end goal the same of both of them, if they are different? So what do you guys think? So we're talk, we introduced apologetics. Now we're talking about God's mission. Then we're going to come after this section and kind of see how they relate together. But for this first question, let's start off. What is the church's mission? To bring people to God. To bring people to God, all right? To share the gospel. Make disciples. Make disciples. Bring people to God. Make disciples. Okay. So you would say, yes, it is the same. Uh, Does anyone else want to challenge that or affirm that? Is the church's mission, the things that we just said, to evangelize, uh, to disciple, is that also then the mission of God? Um, Yes? No? I was thinking, um, maybe not. Right? So when you think about, so his, his mission is to receive, or is it to like, gather? Right? So when you think about like that, they're, they're different. The same end state, but kind of the mission is different. It's what it's receiving versus gathering for. Okay. So the church gathers. The Lord receives. The Lord receives the worship. And brings, close, brings the family closer, right? Okay. Okay. Okay, so there's the sense of us giving, right? What are we giving? We're giving this worship to God, our adoration, our service, all these things. God's the one receiving it, so that way it's different. Um, what are some other thoughts on this, going off of what? Uh, rich? Rich, yes. What Rich said, or 
challenge in that? I feel like God's mission is to bring people to himself. Okay. He does that through the church. Okay. So God works through the church to bring people to himself. Who access his hands and feet? Yeah, the church is still, I would say, accomplishing the same mission, but I would also agree. <laughs> it's accomplishing the same mission, but yet it's still the same with what Rich is saying. Um, I guess it depends on if you talk about the purpose of the church, or okay. the, if you talk about mission just as in kind of evangelism, kind of that. But if you're talking about the purpose of the church, there's the whole, you know, the fellowship and the gathering and discipleship. That's not necessarily bringing people to God, that's discipling once they are in relationship with God. So that's like an added stuff for the church in how it's set up in scripture. Yeah. God also brings glory to himself or wants things done that bring glory to him. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know that bringing people to him is the is the only thing he does. Um, so. so it sounds like we need to add maybe more categories or um talk about the mission as in maybe the methodology for this final end, right? What is the final end? Maybe we could say the final end is the glorification of God, exalting him, worshiping him. And the method then to come to that final end, right, is then maybe missions, sharing the gospel so that more people may come to know him, to come to this worship. Um, I don't know. Is there other thoughts before we get more into the actual passages here? Uh, there's a lot of things that have been said, and if you have th- thoughts in your head, I want you to be able to share them. Thoughts, Corey, or no? Yeah. Th- um, I guess there... All those things are true and right. I think that also God is going to do more than just redeem humanity. It's all of creation, mm-hmm. which isn't certainly like within our ability or the scope of our mission, but that is part of what God is going to do, undoing and recreating, remaking everything that was broken in the fall. And... Um, then humanity joins him in that kind of an already not yet. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Right? No, I agree. I agree. So the, the, the analogy that the father is always used, right? So I want my children to be close. I want to hold them close to me. But what I do is much greater than just that. So I think it's, it's, it's a great comment, right? His, his, our mission is a, sound like I'm in the army of man. Our mission is like a subset of his. Right? So he has the whole mission, and we have just the good for us, which of that, but not necessarily the same. All right. So it sounds like there's some overlap, but maybe some important distinctions that need to be made between our mission and God's mission, which is which is fair. Uh, do these missions serve ultimately to reach the same end? Is the same is the goal the same in both of these? I'm seeing heads saying yes. It depends on uh, how you phrase the goal. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if it's but the core example, God is the goal, then it, all, all all things meet that goal. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would say that is the goal. So yeah. <laughs> I, but you're important. What you're saying is important, right? The nuances in the way you ex- explain things are important. Um, but let's get into some of these passages here. Um, some of them I pulled out to kind of show what the end goal is going to be. Um, at the end of all things, what is this mission working towards? Uh, and passage, some passages in here I have is the mission itself. Um, and uh, we will talk about it as we go through them. So <clears throat> uh, who wants to read Psalm 22, that one? Psalm 22, I'll read it. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, 
and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. All right, so this is uh, a look at the future, um, what many would say the millennial kingdom um, of at the end of all times, right? All the families of the nations shall be worship well, shall worship before you. Ultimately, is where we're going towards. So that is a picture of the end goal, right? So worship here is an important component. All right, who wants to read the Isaiah forty-eight passage? For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. All right, so this is God referring to uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament uh, with them being refined through their exile and all of, the, all of those things. Uh, and how they kept sinning before God, but yet God is not cutting them off ultimately for His, for His glory. And so you can see His God's ultimate purpose in, at least how He's working in the Old Testament. Another component that we didn't talk about is does God's mission change from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Um, that's another th- rabbit trail we could have gone down, uh, but let's not go down that one right now. But so this is referring to the Old Testament, obviously Israel. Who wants to read Matthew 28? I will. All right, thanks. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. And so we see this is the actual Great Commission. Right, uh, so you can think of this as the method in order to carry out to get to the specific end of worship. Uh, one thing I do want to observe in the Great Commission that I think also is sometimes overlooked: uh, what do we think of when we think of the Great Commission? We think of preaching the gospel to all nations, right? Uh, expanding the kingdom of God. Uh, the Great Commission is also about discipleship. Uh, and I think that's the part that we sometimes miss. We think of the Great Commission simply as evangelism, but it's also the uh, the discipling up of believers who are already believers. Um, so that's just an observation here. You see the baptizing, that's kind of bringing people into faith, and then the teaching is the discipleship component. All right. Revelation 7-9. Who wants to read that one? After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, uh, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. All right, thanks for correcting that in the middle of the passage. All right, so Revelation 7-9 is actually the mission statement for, does anyone know what Revelation 7-9 is the mission statement for? It's the mission statement for the IMB, for the International Mission Board. Um, so if you were to look at the website for the International Mission Board, our missions agency for the Southern Baptist Convention, they would say, well, we shouldn't necessarily make up a mission statement because it's already presented in Scripture. And this is the passage that they look at, right? Uh, ultimately, is the vision that John has in Revelation when he's on the island of Patmos of people from everywhere worshiping God, right? From every uh, nation, uh, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And what are they doing? If you continue reading in Revelation, they are worshiping the Lord. And so we see, again, that's a vision of ultimately what the mission is going to bring us to. What's the end goal of it? Worship. Um, And then lastly, I think this quote here from John Piper, kind of, I like it. It brings it all together really well. And all the different components that we're talking about. Um, The mission, what is the mission, and what is the end goal? 
Um, and so I'll read this for us. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Uh, when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, which is what we see in Revelation right before what we just looked at, missions will be no more. And he, he continues, this is from the book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Has anyone read that before? Yeah, Corey has. Yeah, I would highly recommend it if you haven't. Uh, again, the book's name is Let the Nations Be Glad. I don't have that actually on the next page for further resources. Um, so, but what are your thoughts on this quote? Uh, I kind of already showed you or told you where I'm at. I, I like this quote. I think it's very helpful. Uh, what do you guys think? Is this helpful? Is this not helpful? Is, are there things in here you guys don't agree with? It's okay to not agree with the John Piper quote. It's another thing uh, to maybe not agree with what the uh, biblical passages are saying, or we could maybe discuss them what they mean by what they're saying. Um, but as it relates to God's mission, right? we see this a little bit in how he interacts with the Old Testament Israelites in the Isaiah uh, passage we looked at. Uh, we see the Great Commission that Jesus gives us right before he ascends. Uh, we see revelation of what the end is going to be. Uh, do you think this quote from Piper wraps it up well? Oh, just give me thoughts on, on these things. What do you mean by worship doesn't? I mean, we're not worshiping? Uh, for where? Missions exist because worship doesn't. Because uh, worship does not exist in some parts of the world. So it's not saying that we at First Baptist Church, we're not worshiping God. It's not saying that. But um, you could look at different parts of the world where uh, the gospel has never been preached, maybe in different remote areas, hard-to-reach places. Worship doesn't exist there uh, to the one true God. What was that? And they can't. Right? There's places where you're not allowed to go worship. So I think what I was trying to say is because there's places you have to go, we need to still go on missions. Because there's places where the, the word of the Lord needs to be extended still. Yes. Once, it's, once it's been extended, then it'll, it'll be over. That's, that's the end. Yeah, exactly. So worship doesn't exist in some places in the world. So we should expand the kingdom of God right by doing missions, sharing the gospel, um, so that there will be more worshipers of God, so that then God could get more of the glory and he will be ultimately exalted even more. I think he, he says it confusingly, though, because it's what, what I think he's saying is missions exist because not everybody worships God. Yes. That seems much simpler than <laughs> this whole complicated thing, but of course he's from a different period of time. Well, he's not, actually. <laughs> um, it's his attention step. Yeah. He's making everybody ask those questions, like, what does he mean? Yes, in, yes. In dramatic. Exactly. And I feel like I've interacted with this quote so many times. I am blind to those things because I'm used to hearing this. <laughs> yes. And it's not a surprise, though, because why would it say go and make disciples unless there was someone to make a disciple of? And, you know, they say you're going to encounter this tribulation. You're going to encounter this hardship from opponents. So um, the need to do missions is not a surprise, and the hardship of missions is not a surprise from since the Bible. So, um, while the, you know, the quote might be given in sort of like this sort of odd, shocking, pressing way, it's not, I mean, it's not a surprise that this is the situation. Yeah, that's good. Good to know. Right. And again, if you go back to First Peter, uh, where we started, uh, you will see um, just the hardship that Christians are facing, were facing in the very beginning and have continued throughout then the history of the church. Um, all right, so we talked about apologetics, missions, uh, to then go back to the intro question for the missions component, right? Um, the mission of the church is, yes, to go out and make disciples of all nations. Um, the mission of God is to also save the world, redeem the world, 
um, maybe beyond uh, just humanity, but ultimately creation. Uh, we could go there as well. But then the end goal of it all, right, is for his glory and for his honor and for his worship. Um, and I think it's safe to, to go there. All right. Now let's see how we could put these things together. Um, we talked about the goal of missions. So here the first question is, what is the goal of Christian apologetics? So we define the Christian apologetics, right, to give a defense, to give an appeal uh, in word and deed. Uh, does it align with uh, the goal of God's mission? You can write the in there as well. <laughs> does it align with uh, the goal of God's mission? What do you guys think on this? What would you say the goal is for a Christian, for Christian apologetics? Peter is wrong. So, so the second there. question is, yes, it does align with God's mission. All right. All things ultimately should, right? Otherwise, what's the point of doing it? Um, right? The way we do that, the way we do apologize or the way we do missions, does that align with God's mission? Maybe so, maybe not. Yeah. We're here what do you mean because, by that? Explain. Because if you don't... Um, I, all of us understand apologetics in a sense. Sure. If you are a Christian, even if this is the first hour you've been a Christian, you understood enough of the gospel to make that step. So we all understand there's a reason for a relationship with God. Could we be better at it? Could we understand more? Could we understand the people around us and how to relate to them? Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think that's why we're all here because we want to be better at this. We want to understand it better. Um, but we, you know, I guess it's the quality of how we do things or maybe our heart in doing things um, and letting the Holy Spirit guide us as we do apologetics. That's what we could all get better at. Maybe we do it well, maybe we don't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. But it's good to... So those, some, you said some of the things we'll, we'll get to. Um, but it's good to recognize, right, uh, whatever the end goal is of... The purpose of us doing Christian apologetics, it better align with God's mission, right? Which is His, for His glory and for His worship, um, for His name's sake, as Isaiah says. Um, all right. What are some other thoughts on this? What we didn't really answer yet. What is the goal of Christian apologetics? We said it does align with God's uh, mission, but what do you, what do you guys think? I think, like you talk about it, you're talking about a defense or an appeal that's to a questioning. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think we're talking more, I I see it as kind of a subset of, say, theology. You say, well, I've got to understand the Bible and what it's teaching. But I don't think, I think that is more of theology. But that, I don't see that as apologetics. I think it's needed. And you talk about the deed aspect. Um, I kind of think of that goes to the credibility of the person, mm-hmm. not to the argument for the apologetics. Because you could write it on a piece of paper. Yeah. And that argument, that thought, is just on a piece of paper. Whoever wrote it, you don't know. But, I mean, I think it's crucial, like you were saying, uh, for your own personal credibility, because if you don't, if you don't live it, it won't be an effective defense. So I, I can see that, but I, I, I think of apologetics as kind of a narrower subset, and that we can't just—it doesn't broaden out to everything. Sure. So, so those those are some really good points, and you brought in a couple other things. Now, how does theology relate to apologetics, and then how does it ultimately relate to Christian living? Uh, I do want to address the last bit you said. Uh, when we use apologetics, one of the things we need, right, we need to appeal to evidence um, to give good reason and logic for the things that we're saying, right? When it comes to the Christian faith, one of the best pieces of evidence uh, that you could point to is a transformed life, right? Uh, and that is kind of the deed component of it. If you're a Muslim, you can point to a transformed life and it's, I don't, or a Mormon. Yeah. They can show to a transformed life 
it doesn't that is not persuasive to me yeah yeah so and that's why it's important to open up our mouths sometimes <laughs> yes but you're right you're right um where just living and displaying your christian life um and just doing that is not enough right we need to open up our mouths and share the gospel that is the most worrisome. So if you don't show those deeds and yet you're explaining apologetics all day long to your coworkers, uh, then th- that disconnect cannot be overcome. You're right. And save the people for life sometimes when they see that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you're just being a hypocrite then ultimately. And um, yeah, that's true. And you're just not displaying the the transforming work the gospel actually does uh, that you're trying to talk about. Um, as it relates to the theology side of it, and how does theology relate to apologetics? Um, the way you could think of it, I think, the way I think of it at least, is apologetics are the things we say about who God is, right? Um, our, our thoughts of God. And then apologetics is using our thoughts of God then with others. So then theology is more maybe upward focused is how you think of it. Apologetics is more outward focused um, to use your knowledge of God, your truths, the doctrinal truths you know about who God is, right? Then expressing that in a reasonable way. Um, so, so yeah, the goal of Christian apologetics ultimately ought to be to proclaim the gospel um, to yourself, to have good reasons to believe in the things you believe in, to have answers for yourself, but then also for others. Uh, so you see that the two sides of that, right? Apologetics is good for you personally to give you reasons to believe in the things you believe in. Um, so it's not just blind faith, but then also when you're talking to others to have this defense uh, to, as you share the gospel. Uh, but the end goal of it is not to win an argument, right? Not just to sound smarter than someone else as it relates to Christian apologetics, right? Uh, but it's to be able to proclaim the gospel in an um, intelligent way that is also demonstrated by a life filled with the Spirit uh, that represents Christ well as you live out your life. So, Isn't it kind of like imitating Christ? I mean... Christ came, he built relationships, he preached, he taught, yes, he said truths, but he also was with people. He entered into their lives, and that's what we should be doing too. Our words need to share those truths, but then we need to enter in their lives and let them enter in our lives so they can see those deeds as well. That's right, yeah. So you can think of it, if if we're looking at Christ in the Gospels, all the times... Right, the Pharisees challenged Christ on anything, and um, many times answer the questions with a question. Right, that could be his method in apologetics. But he was giving a defense, giving a reason for the things he was saying. Not all the time; sometimes he was silent. Right, uh, but we see Christ in those examples doing apologetics, uh, giving reasons uh, for the things he for what he's teaching. Uh, I also want to say, I know we need to, I don't want time again to wrap or get uh, uh, um, away from us, but as we are defending our faith, it's focused on, yes, sharing the gospel, but apologetics is not simply two Christians debating on a theological matter and giving defense for their position. That's not what apologetics is. Apologetics is giving good defense, giving good reason for the core Christian beliefs. Um, it, if you uh, believe that baptism should be by immersion or sprinkling, and there's two Christians debating on that, that's not what apologetics is. Um, apologetics is giving good reasons for why God exists, right? Core doctrinal matters. Uh, the existence of God. It's about defending the deity of Christ, that Christ is divine, Right, we need to confess that in order to be a Christian. Uh, 
giving good reasons for why you believe in the Trinity, right? This is who God is. Um, uh, giving good reasons of why, giving a good defense on uh, the fact that man is sinful, right? That we are all in, affected by original sin. Uh, giving good reasons that Christ does atone for the sins of the world when he dies on the cross, right? So these core doctrinal Christian beliefs, defending them to an unbeliever um, is what apologetics is, or giving good answers for yourself so that you know how to um, explain them in an intellectual way is what apologetics is. Is there any questions on that specifically? I don't have a question, but I have a comment. Okay, what's your comment? I would just, when I think about these two questions, I think it's dangerous for us to... Um, like separate God's mission from apologetics. And I think we've touched on that a little bit, but it reminds me when you talk about theological debate. Mm -hmm. Like, when we are, when our goal for that is to, like, raise our own point, that's when it's not worshipful anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, when, but when we keep in mind that our goal is worship of the Lord, then it's going to be very difficult for us to reach a point where we are raising our own self above Exactly. So you have, again, um, it should be done with humility, right? It's looking up to God for help, and we will get to the uh, part of needing the help of the Holy Spirit in this. Um, but I want to uh, read, someone want to read actually 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for us, uh, the 1 through 5. And I want us to talk about that a little bit. Um, do I have a volunteer? to read this section. Thank you, Corey. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right. So for those who don't like the idea of apologetics, because they, some might think it's too argumentative, they would look to a passage like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and say we shouldn't use apologetics. Um, how do we align... 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with everything we've talked about so far. Does it contradict it? If not, how does it not? What do you guys think? I don't think it does because he, said, he still says he knows Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm -hmm. That is apologetics. He's not saying, I don't know anything. Yeah. And he does say he has speech and message it's not his wisdom, but so he's not silent. Yeah. I think that so also lofty speech and wisdom, that's like coming out arrogant and like I wasn't standing up there pontificating and like so I think it also has to do with the presentation as much as um, that's what you're saying. Right? So to do it humbly and yeah. you might be there trembling and speech. That's good. That's good. I think it's important to know that apologetics isn't tricking people. Right? It's not, I'm not trying to talk you into it yeah. or convince you and, uh, you know, sneak around. I'm trying to give questions to the answers that they may have. And that's, a, that's a huge difference. Exactly. 100%. Right? And if you were to look at the context of what uh, is being said here in 1 Corinthians, uh, here it says, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, or he does not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech and, and wisdom. Uh, later in the passage, and we'll actually see it, it talks about uh, that we aren't to use this earthly wisdom, but we are to use the spiritual wisdom. The spiritual wisdom is what comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that's the wisdom uh, that we are to use as we present Christ and Him crucified, right? And this is why apologetics is giving defense for Christ 
that he is divine, that he is God, that he exists, that he died on the cross for our sins, and this atonement uh, pays uh, the punishment for sins when you put your faith alone in Christ alone, right? Uh, so this uh, quickly goes into then our need um, for the Holy Spirit to help us in this. Um, it's not dependent on my own lofty speech or my own wisdom, but it's fully dependent on on Christ's wisdom and Christ's power in me so that I may proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Um, also, I want to point out, this is also somebody who's able to display, he had the, the gifts that were miraculous gifts. Because he's saying he's, he had, he demonstrated to you, he didn't have to explain it. He could heal somebody if, if somebody, and there was like obvious there was a power that we and could, today don't typically have those miraculous gifts where yeah. he had, and he didn't have to say fancy words. You're he right. demonstrated that God was powerful. That's he, a good point. And I think of the Gospel of John, right, with exactly what you're saying. The Gospel of John is known as a gospel that shows the evidence for Christ being God. And the evidence that it appeals to is are, are the miracles that Christ does. Um, so more of the miraculous signs are used as evidence to give more uh, weight to what you're saying. And yes, we don't necessarily have that today the same way the apostles did, uh, that Christ had passed on to them with that. All right, I thought this quote here was helpful. The cross, a symbol of humility and suffering, should shape the way we do apologetics. Again, that's pointing to uh, the way that we should come at it humbly, right? Um, and then the last section for us, we'll quickly get through, since I know we don't have a whole lot of time. Uh, who should practice Christian apologetics? What tools do you need? Uh, quick answer, everyone, every Christian should be doing Christian apologetics because everyone is uh, commanded to go out and share the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and one, a great tool or method to do that is apologetics. You need to be able to know how to answer questions about your faith. Um, give an answer, give a defense if someone were to challenge you uh, so that you may know how to answer them. All right, so for, it's for all Christians. Uh, tools needed. Uh, I put two categories here that I came up with. Um, so they could be easily wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, ability is the first one, to use wisdom and reason. And ultimately, the last passage that we'll look at is actually on the next page, and I'll quickly read that for us. It talks about the ability for us to be able to do this ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit. So this is assuming your ability to be able to do this is to reason with spiritual wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Right? So that's where it comes from. Uh, and then second one is evidence to interact with. Where does this come from? Evidence, biblical evidence, right? We talked about natural revelation a couple semesters ago, um, core theological beliefs. Uh, so just we need evidence, things to interact with in order to build our case for our defense or for our answer. And those, like I said, uh, could be biblical evidence or uh, whatever it could be. So ability and evidence is what we need. And then I want us to finish then uh, a little bit further down, First Corinthians chapter 2, um, and then we can look at how we're completely dependent on the Holy Spirit in order to do this. Um, so does someone want to read this last section for us, or this last passage? For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. All right. All right. So there we see plainly, uh, in order to be able to give a defense of... Um, spiritual truths, we need the Spirit in order to 
help us in that. Um, so tools needed, ability, which comes from the Spirit, right? Uh, and then also just study and uh, doing things like this together. We could sharpen that, our ability, our knowledge, and then knowing how to use the evidence or the tools uh, in that regard. All right, any final questions or comments about anything? Yes? Um, you know, we might not have the appeal of miracles or other great works, but when the gospel tells like we just the mere nature of the Christian life is our appeal, and no one, when they light their lamp, puts it on his basket, they put it on his stand. And when that illuminates the good works, the glory goes to God. So 100%. when it says, you know, just this, the appeal and the defense that comes with it, I mean, you don't have to do anything. It's just the natural appeal of the Christian life. Exactly. And that's the deed component, right, that we talked about, 100%. Um, any other final questions or comments? All right, I'll close this out in prayer, and then we will uh, be dismissed. Lord, we again love you, and we praise you for your greatness, Lord, for your holiness, Lord, for the work that you're doing here um, amongst us all. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, and uh, it's by your spirit that we are able to discern your word, Lord, uh, to know you, um, and that we're ultimately able to uh, worship you, Lord, by your spirit, through your son. Lord, I pray for the rest of this evening that um, we just get home safely, and that we... um, grow just more in our love and knowledge for you, Lord. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.